John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Long chapter, right? But we're not going to do the whole thing. And I'm not going to read my entire text. I'll read it as we go along. I am going to read one verse and then kind of take off from there and add to it. But John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, if you have your Bibles or if you have your app, Jesus says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Man, it's a powerful statement. It's, it, there's so much there, right? Bread is such a basic food item that it becomes, doesn't it, often becomes synonymous and is synonymous for food in general. When you think about it, we even use the phrase, and, and whether it's you're a Christian in the church or even outside the church, we're going to get together and break bread. We're going to break bread together, right? It's an expression, and, and it, it just means it indicates that sharing of a meal with someone, that we're going to have that fellowship over food. See, bread also plays an integral part of the Jewish Passover meal. Many of you are familiar with this. The Jews were to eat unleavened bread during the Passover feast, and then for seven days following as a celebration of the Exodus from Egypt. Many of you are familiar with that story in the book of Exodus. And finally, when the Jews were wandering in the desert for 40 years. Now, why were they wandering for 40 years? Because they were going to the promised land, but they were whiners, complainers. They were sinning. They were complaining against Moses, their deliverer, their leader, and God himself. And they were whining. And even after God allowed their shoes, the soles of their shoes, to not be worn out. For all those years, they're walking and they had these shoes. And God provides them. They started complaining about the food they had. And then God, in Exodus chapter 16, rains down bread or manna, food, from heaven. He rains down this thing that no one actually knows what it really is. Only God does, right? But they, they came down and every day they were instructed to pick it up. And take enough for the day and eat it. And if they had too much, it would spoil. Now, there's a lesson there. As a side note, I'm sure you've heard it and we've preached it before. You've got to have Jesus every day who is the bread of life, who comes down from heaven. Not part of my sermon, but just a little tidbit there to remind you. You've got to have him every day. You need him every day. You need to be satisfied. You've got to get out. You've got to find a time. And if, if I could say, you've got to collect the manna every day and be nourished and satisfied. It's really important for your spiritual health. So I want to encourage you to do that. So then they complain even more. And now they want something else. And God says, fine, you want meat. And he sends quail. Can you imagine quail all over the place? It reminds me of driving down 138 when they released all those quail over there at the preserve where they go hunting and you see them all alongside the road. Can you imagine having like all kinds of those there and they're just grabbing them and they're, and they're, having, they're having a meal. And they're still not satisfied. They whine and they complain and God, he sustains that nation. You can check it out in Exodus chapter 16. Now, all of this plays into the scene being described in John chapter 6 where Jesus used the term bread of life. He was trying to get away from the crowds to no avail. Everywhere he went, people were around him. He crossed the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd follows him. Not literally over the water, but they ran around to meet him at the other side, and they were always in his face, if you will, wanting to hear, wanting to see, wanting to know what he would do next, whether it was the miraculous or powerful, wise truth that he was teaching and putting forth, the Word of God. 
And after some time, Jesus acquires here, after the crowds beat him. And in earlier in, in, in this chapter, Jesus inquires of Philip. And, and he says, how are you going to feed the crowds? And Philip's answer, as the Bible records, displays his little faith. Where he says that they don't have enough money to give each of them the smallest morsel of food even. There's too many people. It's impractical and it's financially impossible. And finally, Andrew, he brings to Jesus a small boy who had five small loaves of bread and two little fish. And with that amount, Jesus miraculously fed all those people with food to spare. I don't know what I would have done if I was there, but I would be like, whoa, like just blown away. I'm satisfied and yet I know it's left over and all these people are, are filled. And afterwards, Jesus and the disciples cross back to the other side of Galilee. And when the crowd sees that Jesus had left, they follow him again. And Jesus takes this moment to teach them a lesson. And he accuses the crowd of ignoring his miraculous signs and only following him for the free meal that they got. Jesus tells them in John chapter 6, 27, he says, Do not labor for the food that perishes. Don't labor for that, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. In other words, they were so enthralled with the food that they were missing out on the fact that their Messiah had come. Their Savior had come. Their deliverer had come and they missed out. And so the Jews asked Jesus for a sign that he was sent from God. I don't know if you know the story if you're following. I'm sorry. I, every time I read this, I just, I, I'm, we're the same way, I guess, in some ways. They cross over a second time in this chapter and they come back and, he, and he's talking. They want this, this, this food that, that they're saying, our fathers... In the time of Moses, God sent down food from heaven through them. And we ate. And please, send us a sign. And Jesus says, I'm their better life. Send us a sign. We want more of this food that you're offering. And give us a sign. And Jesus is like, I just fed thousands of people. And they want a sign. Isn't that like us? We want the sign. We want the feel good. We want the, the powerful big things. Oh, I want them. But, but then we, we just we forget to see Jesus. The, the giver, the maker, the, the designer of the signs. And we want, give us the sign, Jesus. Are you really real? Are you really sent from God? I just provided for you for the past 47 years of your life. I've healed you. I've saved you. I've, but give me a sign. Give me a sign. No. Jesus says, listen, you're missing the point. It's me. It's me. It's all about me. And they're missing it. And they tell Jesus that God gave them manna during their desert wandering. And Jesus responds to them by telling them that they need to ask for true bread from heaven that gives life. And when they ask Jesus for this bread, Jesus startles them by saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Really important. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, 
The seven I am sayings of John, of Jesus in John's gospel, each time he says, I am, he is using the exact word. And the same thing is going on in the language there that, that where God used to reveal himself to Moses, who is at the burning bush. And Moses says, what? Me, a deliverer? I want to go there? Who do I tell them that sent me so they believe me? They're going to think I'm off. They're going to think I'm losing my mind. God tells Moses, tell them, I am that I am has sent you. I am that I am. Why is that important? Because that word in the Hebrew for God simply means I am that I am. Simply means that God is the one who was always there, who is, who always will be. It doesn't need anybody's help. He's all powerful and almighty. He's the only God. I am that I am. And so when Jesus says, I am, the word he uses to all these Jewish people, especially to the leaders, boom, and they're angry and they're offended. This guy's saying he's God. And then he says, I am. I am God, the bread of life. Whoa. And in other accounts where, where, where John records where Jesus says his I am sayings and the claims that Jesus makes, even in chapter 8 in John's gospel, they want to stone him. That's crazy talk. But Jesus says, I am God and I am the bread of life. This is a phenomenal statement. And there are four points I want to point out to you and elements here about what Jesus reveals, what this tells us about himself, about Jesus in this statement that I am the bread of life. First, that statement reveals that Jesus is the one who truly satisfies hunger. He satisfies hunger. Verse 35, as I read, I'm going to read it again. Jesus says, let me flip there. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What bread is to hunger, to the physical stomach, Jesus claims to be for the soul. He is for the soul. Have you ever noticed, I was thinking about this, have you ever noticed that whenever you venture out and you go to a restaurant that is above the luxury level of McDonald's and you sit down for a good meal, maybe it's your favorite place, right? They always bring out bread in advance. And like a nice restaurant, usually it's good, fresh bread. It's good stuff, right? And they put it out there in front of you as you're waiting. And let me ask you, how many of you, you make your order and that bread's out there. The, the, the waiter or waitress comes, you make your order. And you're like, oh, I'm going to have pork medallions. I can't wait with some fresh greens. Mmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And this bread's there in front of you. And you take one. You eat another one. And the entree comes 20 minutes later. And you're like, I'm full. I am full. I am stuffed. I'm overflowing with this warm, soft, delicious with a quarter pound of butter slattered on it. And I'm just full. It's so delicious. Come on, we've all done that. And we, and we do eat, but then we're picking at it because we're like so full. It's so satisfying. It's so good, right? And we just can't resist to taste and see how good that good-looking loaf of bread or slice of bread or roll is. And we get filled up. See, bread is a staple. If the poor have nothing... They usually have bread, some form of bread. If the rich have everything, they still have bread. 
some kind of bread form in their house, right? Bread is not a regional food. It's not an, an American national appetizing thing or get you warmed up for your meal thing or filled up before your meal thing. No, and it's, in fact, bread has no particular country that claims to be the exclusive source of bread. It may look different, right? Bread looks different. In Mexico, it may be in the form of a tortilla. Right? Or in New York. New York. It might be a bagel. But bread is everywhere. And so is Christ. He is. He is not bound by boundaries. And he's universally available. Everywhere, all the time. See, bread is also eaten daily, as I mentioned earlier. Some fruits, right, are available only in season. Have you ever had some fruits, and if you've eaten it for a while, and then when it's out of season, you go and you get one, ah, it's out of season, but I'll get it. You take a bite, and you're like, eh, that, that's just not satisfying. It's not in season, right? But bread is always in season. It's always in season. And, and, not, and, and so is Jesus. He does, Jesus never goes out of season. He can nourish our hearts, not just in certain months or special events or when you're at New Hope or whether you're in your home or when you're praying, but always and every day, wherever we are, He can nourish our souls. Bread is also served in many forms, isn't it? It's toasted. It's jellied. It's buttered. Mm, it's flattened. And it's grilled. It can be a sandwich, it can be a sweet roll, a hot dog bun, a croissant, or a dinner roll. It can take on many forms to meet many needs or tastes or desires, right? And so can Jesus. That doesn't mean Jesus is different to everyone as far as who he is, as God, and his nature. No! But man, he came to you a little differently than he came to me. Oh, it's still Jesus. And how I tasted him was different than how you tasted him. And in that moment, in that place, in that time, for some of you, it was in a grilled fashion. For some of you, uh, others, it was that soft, sweet roll. Whatever it was, he came to you. See, he has a word, and here's how I know it's true, because Jesus comes in these different ways. He has a word for the lonely people as much as he has a word for the popular people surrounded by people and loved by everybody. He has help for those who are physically ill as much as he is help for those who are emotionally and spiritually ill. And if your vision is clear, and I don't mean physically, but your purpose in life, where you're going, what you see God wants you to do or what your life is for, if your vision is clear, he can help you fulfill that vision. If your vision is cloudy, he can help you see it. Maybe you have no vision. He can give you a vision. Can you see why Jesus called himself the bread of life? What bread does for you physically, for your stomach, Jesus can do for you spiritually, for your heart, your soul. But so many people today, so many people, and we can get caught up in this too. You know, there are all these diets and I don't know if you remember a while ago, this is a while, maybe, gee, 20, maybe more, I don't know how many years ago, the Atkins diet. 
right? You cut out carbs and there's protein. There's all these things you cut off. And I know we're all different people. Our bodies are, I get all that. But you cut all these things off. But just to make the analogy, people are cutting all these carbs, right? But there's too many people in our world, even Christians, who are counting spiritual carbs. They're counting spiritual carbs all the time. And they're not enjoying the bread of life. See, here's the thing. The Atkins diet, this is kind of like the Atkins diet today that people are on. For, a spiritual one for this new time that we live in, for today. And the carb cutting simply is this. It's a spiritual diet that's Jesus-free. Oh, it's everything else. As if those aren't carbs, bad carbs. If those aren't things that don't satisfy and weigh you down. No, you can't have Jesus in your spiritual diet. After all, he's exclusive. He says he's the only way to God the Father. After all, he's the only one that could have died for your sins. After all, you fill in the blank. No way, that's offensive. That can't possibly be. That's going to weigh you down. That kind of thinking, that kind of philosophy, that it affects all that. No way, that's heavy. It's not going to make you trim. It's going to fat... The plurality and the secretism of our time today, that is what weighs you down. That is what malnourishes you in the end. What we need is the true bread of life, Jesus. It's too much carb counting at the expense of taking Jesus out of our diet. Let's not do that. This is such a simple, powerful truth. If you believe Jesus to be the true to his word, if you believe the word of God to communicate eternal truth, this is really simple to understand. If you find yourself hungering and thirsting spiritually, I need something more, God, I know it. If you find a place of emptiness in your heart and your spirit, you too need the bread of life. Because Jesus says, if you come to him, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Never. That's a huge statement. So Jesus satisfies hunger. These next ones are short, trust me. The second thing that we should learn from Jesus saying he's the bread of life, we should learn that and be reminded, and Jesus reveals that he is from heaven. Verse 33, I'm sorry, verse 32 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. I, I should probably omit this, but I, I have to get it off my chest, and I just think it's that important. And it was not here. I did it for service, but I want to read that again. He says, The bread of God is that which comes out of heaven and gives life to the world. And he says it again later down in this chapter. Why am I emphasizing that? Gives life to the world. Listen, he comes from heaven, and he gives life to the world, he came and left this place of glory. He didn't have to, but out of his love and, and, and his compassion, he obeyed the Father. Jesus is from heaven. He's not a creation of man. You can't, you can't just throw him, put together all whatever you want, throw something in the oven, and you make a Jesus. Just like the false gods in the Old Testament, the prophet, even David says, these are manufactured by hands in the minds of men. And they get some, some metal together, or they get a wood, they carve it, or they get some cakes and they bake them, and then they offer it up a sacrifice or even worship it. All these created things by our hands. Jesus came from heaven. 
He did not come from the mind of any human being. He's God himself who came from heaven itself. And this, this is such a huge thing to wrap your mind around. But Jesus says, my origin is not here from among you. I'm not of this world. I have come down from heaven, sent by the Father to be the bread of life. You remember John chapter 1, a few chapters back? The first verse of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh. And then what? And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. He dwelt among us. He came from heaven. He left his glory. He was here. You cannot manufacture a life-giving bread that will grant you eternal life. It has to come from heaven, and it comes from Jesus, who came from heaven. That's what he claims here. Learn that. He is from heaven. Life-giving bread does not originate from this planet or from the hands of humans. A third thing Jesus reveals is that he is eternal life-giving. Kind of segues right into what I just said and continues that thought. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He who believes what? Or who? Believes Jesus, who has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. Right? And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wow. What can I say to that? I can't even expound or add to these words of Christ. How could I drill home in any better terms the power of this promise of verse 51? I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. You'll live forever. No, you don't eat the physical life of Jesus, the body of Jesus, and drink his blood. But you partake, you abide in him. You spend time with him in his word and fellowship. You stay connected and you feast on him, if you will, the bread of life. And you're nourished and you gain eternal life that way. That's how you eat of Jesus. Not physically. He's not calling for us to be, have some cannibalistic, barbaric, gross thing. That's not what he's saying. This is a spiritual feasting that we have by faith in the word of God, through the word of God, because of what Jesus is, and, and he's risen, and we pray and call to him, and in our fellowship, we reach out and get a hold of God, and we're sustained until we get home to be with him. Christ has given his flesh, his life, his all. He laid it all on the table. Forget about living a life of legalism, trying to do things the right way and satisfy God. Quit demanding a supernatural sign. Stop being a crowd glutton that always cries out, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, Jesus. He does that. But surrender to the idea that you're going to be able to use your intellect to rationalize this thing called Christianity. Just give it up. It, it's so much more. We can think it through, but it's so deep. It's so profound. And God helps us and he sustains us when we tap into the spread of life. 
give up on the constant literal battles and arguments over each and every word or phrase that you hear or are taught. Now, I'm saying that not because it doesn't matter, and every word in the Bible matters, and we should study, and we should care, and we ought to study and know the word for what it really means. But brothers and sisters, friends, wherever you are, don't get caught up in all the little different things and even some distinctives that we have within Christianity. And then we miss Jesus. And we're not feasting on the bread of life. But we're nitpicking about a seed that fell off that was seasoned on top of that bread, if I could put it that way. And we don't get nourished. We miss out. Jesus says, quit complicating all this. I am the bread of life. You want eternal life? Partake of me. I have made the sacrifice. I made my life available to you. Just receive it and you'll have eternal life and you will never die. You'll live with me forever. And as important as anything else that has been said today, be sure to catch this last one that we should learn from what Jesus said when he said, I am the bread of life. He was sacrificed for all. I'm sorry in advance. And I know I do that sometimes. But this is a place in Scripture twice in this chapter where we need to be very careful about our theological bents and taking every theological bend we have and conforming it to what we think is right because 70% says this and 30% doesn't say that. So you throw out the other 30 or you make the other 30 fit into what you want the 70 to be. Listen, I've said it before. For God so loved the world. For God so loved who? The world. The term in the Greek means people, all people. The word here, the world, means all people. It means everyone. The bread of life is available for everyone. And I believe it. As much as I believe it's true, we got to be careful. Oh, no, it's only the elect, and I will argue and fight. I, agree. I believe you as much as that's true. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. Oh, no, but 70%. What are you going to do with the other? This is Jesus' words. That means that his salvation, his, his, that bread of life is available to you, wherever you are right now, and to you sitting here, and to every single person that is on this planet. He was sacrificed for me, for you, and for you, and for Nate, and for Muffy, and for Sharon, and for Preston, and for Judy, and the names go on and on. He died for that person right now who's pumping gas at the mobile station and filling up his biggest UV with 50 gallons of gas. And he has no idea who God is, but he died for him, and he wants him to come. And of course God knows who's going to be his. I get all that, but he died for him. I got to take Jesus at his word. That that is available, and I don't know, because I'm not God. He died for the person in the Dunkin' Donuts right now, who's filling a drive through order. He died for that person. You don't want to believe that? That's fine. You can answer to God one day. That's fine. But what's your motivation then? You'll never tell him that Jesus is the bread of life, and I've fallen short doing that myself even through the drive-thru. He died for that pregnant teenage girl sitting in a home somewhere who doesn't know him and is hopeless and is suffocating inside and drying up and dying and is scared and doesn't know what to do. He died for her. 
And as hard as it is to say, because it breaks my heart, and he died for the unborn child inside her body. And even this, and he died for that abusive man who raped her, and he sits in a prison somewhere. It's hard to say, but he did. He did. And for everyone else that was ever created, I don't know, I'm not God, I don't know his plan, I don't get into, can't get into his mind with his, who he's preordained and all that. I can't get into that. But that's the message of the church. That Jesus went to the cross, that he's the bread of life, that he physically came and he gave himself for all of us. And we got to go to the table and bring others with us. We started off by saying, come to that table. For God so loved the world. That's the message of the church. That is the message of hope that Jesus Christ was trying to communicate to that crowd that day. That is the truth that has been transferred into our hands to communicate to a lost, lonely, dying, and hungry world. We're going to partake in communion because it demonstrates and shows that Jesus is the bread of life. That he physically came and died and rose again, shed his blood to wash away our sins, but that he came as the bread of life. And we partake. It's a picture that we do that in the spiritual. And it does have meaning. It's not just eating a symbol, but there is a spiritual significance to this for people of faith, for those who are born again, that reminds us and proclaims that we need to be nourished by Jesus regularly. And that we need to bring Jesus to this world. I want to finish with a story I read. There was a beggar who came and came before a baker. And he said to him, I want bread. How wise you are, the baker assured him. You're a smart guy, man. I'm, I'm a baker. I got a shop here. Thanks for coming. Bread is exactly what you need. And you've come to the right bakery. And so he pulled his cookbook down from his shelf and he began to tell the beggar all he knew about bread. He spoke about flour and wheat and grain and barley and the process of how to do all this stuff. And the baker's knowledge impressed even himself as he cited the measurements and the recipe. And when he looked up, he was surprised to see that the beggar was not smiling or impressed. I just want bread, he said. How wise you are. The baker applauded his choice. and Follow me and I'm going to show you our actual bakery. And down the halls he guided him. And pausing to point out the rooms where the dough is prepared. And the ovens where the bread is baked. No one has such facilities. We have bread for every need. But here's the best part. He proclaimed as he pushed open two swinging doors. This is our room of inspiration. The baker, man, he knew that the beggar was moved as he stepped into the auditorium full of stained glass windows. But the beggar didn't say a word. The baker understood his silence. He got it. And because he understood, he put his arm around the beggar and he said, I know. It overwhelms me too. Pretty awesome, huh? And then the baker leaped to the podium can I say, to the pulpit. And he struck his favorite pose behind the lectern. 
People come from miles to hear me speak. Once a week my workers gather and I read to them the recipe from the cookbook of life. And by now, the beggar had taken a seat on the front row. The baker knew what he wanted. Would you like to hear me? No, he said. But I would like some bread. Oh, how wise you are, the baker replied. And he led him to the front door of the bakery. What I have to say next is very important, he told them as they stood outside. Up and down this street, you will find many bakeries, but take heed, they don't serve the true bread. I know of one that adds two spoons of salt rather than one. I know of another whose oven is three degrees too hot. And even another, way too cool. That bread is horrible. They might call it bread, the baker warned, but it's not according to the book. The beggar turned and he began to walk away. Don't you want bread? The baker asked him. And he stopped and he looked back and he shrugged and he said, I guess I just lost my appetite. Can I just say that ever since Jesus left the mandate for us to preach the gospel, not always, doctrine's important, we got to be biblical, but that for 2,000 years, too many people have shrugged and said, I've lost my appetite. I don't know, I don't know what's more incredible in some ways. That God would that God would package the bread of life in the wrapper of a country carpenter named Jesus, or that he gives you and me keys to the delivery truck of that bread truck. Because when you think about it, both things seem kind of risky, don't they? The carpenter, here's the thing, the carpenter, he did his part. And who knows? I don't know. Maybe we'll learn to do ours. It might just be me. But it's so troubling when I even say that for me. All we're called to do is bring people to Jesus. And when they come to him and they taste and see how good he is, they will learn as we point them to the scriptures and as they fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit in prayer and communion with him, they will get to know the real Jesus and they'll grow the way he wants them to. They will learn good doctrine. They will learn the truth. Just bring people to the bread of life. The package speaks for itself. The package has enough in it to take care of someone for the rest of their life. Please don't add or take away. Bring the bread, bring Jesus to someone. In front of you 
you have these pre-filled communion cups. I want to ask you to reach forward. It's in front of you. If you would grab one of these, and we're going to have communion. There are two, two, two uh, layers to unpeel. The first top layer is just as a word of instruction, since it's our first time doing it with these, is a very thin layer of plastic. Be careful to just peel the thin layer of plastic very carefully off, and the wafer is under there. Okay? If you could do that, peel it back. I did mine. And you can just simply pull the wafer right off the top into your hand. Matthew 26, Jesus had his last Passover with the disciples. Here he was, he was saying that he took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he took the cup and gave thanks. But he said, this bread, this is my body given for you. And he said about the cup, that this is the cup of the new covenant. Take and eat all of you. That new covenant, that sacrifice was over, that sins would be washed away once and for all. You don't have to atone for it over and over again. The atonement is final because of what Jesus would do. But this bread that Jesus came, he gave thanks. He said, take and eat. And we're eating this, and the church does this to remind us and to proclaim that Jesus came, that he died, but he physically came. And that now we, as his people, those who believe, eat on a regular basis to remind ourselves and to strengthen our resolve and faith to keep going back and abiding in the bread of life so that we are sustained till the end. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, who physically came, lived the perfect life, and died for our sins on the cross. Thank you that by his death, the penalty was paid for. Thank you, Jesus, that you did this for me. Let's eat of the bread together. And now if you would open very carefully so it doesn't spill the top layer. It's a little harder to open. So careful how you squeeze, but you can peel it open. I'm having a hard time with mine. Here we go. Father, thank you for this cup that reminds us, proclaims, declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, removal of sins. Thank you that you died for us, that that would be possible. You accomplished that. You completed it. And thank you that now you're our constant mediator and we can run to you anytime and know that if we just ask you to forgive, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins. Thank you for shedding your blood. Let's drink of the cup together. As you go, please, you're so blessed to partake in this. But we have so many people around us that still need to be introduced to the bread of life who came for them and shed his blood for them. Let's let God use us. Let's drive the delivery truck, the bread truck, and share Jesus with as many people as we can. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy the, uh, the rest of the weekend.